Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Brenton Ford here. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming podcast. It's been a few weeks since the last episode. I was overseas in the US for some coaching over there, but now I'm back. I've got a lot of episodes in the pipeline. So I'm excited to bring you today's episode with Level 3 Triathlon Coach Grant Giles. He lives in Lennox Heads in New South Wales, and he has worked with, and he still works with, a lot of professional triathletes from Tim Van Berkel to Clayton Fatale, who you would know from our uh, Art of Triathlon Swimming uh, video program. Clayton was the athlete in, uh, in that program. And Grant specializes in the psychology of sports performance and how you can use mindfulness and other techniques to get a better performance from yourself and, and break through mental barriers that you may have set for yourself. So that's more of what the episode is on today rather than different kinds of workouts and that sort of thing. So if you enjoy the mental game and how to incorporate uh, visualization and, and those mental tools and processes into your training, then this episode will be a good one for you. So here we go. Here's Grant Giles talking about how he first got started in triathlon. You'd have to go a fair way back, I guess. I mean, I started triathlon in about um, 1987 and uh, raced myself for, for quite a long, long time, just pottering around and then had a 10-year period where I raced um, – professionally, um, mostly in long course and Ironman. And uh, during that time, I, I met a guy named Arthur Jackson who was a, was actually a psychologist who worked with a West Indian batsman, bat, batsman and um, helped them get through their mental blocks. And um, that was kind of interesting because he's the first one that sort of tweaked my interest in psychology itself. And then from there, I... When I quit racing, I started to um, build up a little business called Aramax Team, which was um, just a, a triathlon coaching business. And, and that's been going full-time since about 2003. And then within the last six years, we had a full-time professional squad in, um, in Lennox Head, uh, New South Wales, and that was um, it had athletes like um, Brad Calderfeld and Peter Robertson, Tim Burkle, Clayton Fattel, there's there was quite a few really good athletes and that and we created a pretty good culture there for, for quite a while. But um, my interest within psychology didn't wane and, I, and it got even more interesting. The, the longer I've coached, the more interested I've got in that side of the sport and I think it is a really big add to sport. So I guess the two, the coaching and the psychology have, uh, have sort of married each other in a way and it's become a greater part of my philosophy, I guess. And that's, that's sort of how this, uh, this interview or this podcast came to be is uh, a mutual friend or an athlete that you coach. Uh, I was chatting to him on the weekend and he said that uh, with, with the coaching that you've been doing over the phone, a lot of it has just been the mental side of it. And he said he found it really, really refreshing, especially for, for him. Like he was lacking motivation. He's, he's going into Worlds in September and he was just really lacking the motivation to, to get going. And, uh, and, and a lot of that was just a, 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 you know, the psychology of, uh, of how he was training and what he was thinking. So that's, that's why I thought it'd be uh, really good to, get, good to get you on the, the podcast. So with, with the psych- psychological side of things, I mean, you've been in the sport for a very long time. Now, you know, over 
sort of over 20, almost you know, 30 years. With your, your expertise there, have you found that you've just learned more and more uh, as you as you keep going, or is it little tweaks or little little tools that you find you can use with athletes um, that you've you know started to discover as you've kept going, or you know how how's that sort of learning process been for you? Um, I think the interesting thing with with athletes is that they don't tend to realise that. The, the physical side is one side, and you hear it all the time. You hear people say, you know, the mental side is 70%, this many, you know, whatever it's alluded to. But the thing is, it's just a side we, we, we miss. And, uh, and you know, it, as a coach, you start to look for, well, okay, what's an edge that I can use, you know? What's something that we can use that we haven't used before? And with some of the guys and, and you know, who were – were struggling for form, I started to think, well, there's got to be a better way than, you know, because, you know, research has shown that the brain is hardwired to the immune system. So really, if you're thinking processes out, then your whole body's going to go out. It's just not going to play ball. And the interesting thing about coaching pro athletes is that they're no less affected by the mental side than someone who's first starting the sport and some in, in some ways more. And what I mean by that was I had a saying when I was when we had this group in Lennox Head that I've got a bunch of um, recreational athletes who think they're world champions and a bunch of world champions who think they're recreational <laughs> in the in the sense that you know the the pro guys often their self talk was was sometimes very negative and and their their you know, their doubts and their fears and, and the amount of efforting they were doing, the way they judged things, the way they tagged things, really made me think, look, there's got to be a better way. And I think with all sports, we've come to a point now with science where we've almost gone as far as we can go. And and from here on out, it's it's going to be about the way people think about it. And even with professional athletes, even now, even though we have sports psychologists, people still think, very negatively about themselves, and and I've uh, I mean I come from the the swimming side of things. That's where I, I started, and it's been interesting seeing the development over the last I guess it's eight years now or, or seven years. Once they got rid of the the super suits, and you're starting to see a lot of the world records starting to be broken in by athletes who haven't got the full body suits on. And I remember thinking in 2009 when they when, when they banned the suits that it's the sport's just going to go backwards because they're never going to break these world records that they that they you know have have got here because I think it was the uh, the world champs in Italy nearly all of the world records in every event were broken and I, I thought you know how's the sport going to progress but by those those top athletes they've managed to to turn their thinking around and um, and believe that they can actually beat these super suit records, and you know you're seeing a lot of them drop now. So, um, what what are some of the biggest problems you've seen an athlete or you've worked with an athlete um, that a challenge they were facing, and, and how'd you help them overcome it? Okay, so you know working with um, working with some of those pro guys was interesting because what I found was. And I mean, I, you know, at the same time I was coaching these guys, I've been doing, you know, workshop after workshop around around psychology, the way we think, the way we process, the way we we judge. And I think that's a key word. And it, and 
and this relates to pro athletes and even, you know, age groupers, recreational athletes. The, the biggest thing that I've found with athletes is the way they judge things hampers them. And, and what that means is if you think of the, if you think of the body as, as an instrument and, and the mind's the driver, if the mind, you know, let's just say you're in Kona, you're on the blacktop and, and you're going hard and it's hot and a tag comes up, you know, like your body feels heat, it goes to the brain, the brain says, you know, it's really hot. And without that tag, without that judgment, all you have is heat. So you have what's actually real in the moment, which is maybe heat and the speed that you're running at. As soon as you tag it with a thought from the mind, you know, it, it, it creates this loop and it exacerbates the pain. It makes, it makes things actually feel hotter. If it's hurting and you say it's hurting, it actually makes it so. But if you allow it to just be there, what I found with athletes is if you can teach them to just let that situation be the way it is, there's far less angst in it. There's less pain. There's less heat. There's less whatever. And it doesn't matter whether somebody's in a boxing ring or swimming or whatever whatever it is. If you get in there with an athlete and teach them how to let go of judgment, then you teach them how to release themselves into that moment fully. So all you're left with is the process. And for an athlete, that's gold. If you just have the process without all the judgment from the mind, you can really do a lot more than you think. And so what we call it in, um, in psychological terms is the first and second arrow of judgment. And the first arrow is whatever the issue is, whether it's swim speed, heat, um, run speed, whatever. And then the second arrow is the judgment about this, the issue. And the, the first arrow is fine on its own. The second arrow is the problem. So it's the way we think and the way we tag and the way we judge what's happening that causes all the problems. Mm. And how would, you, how would you recommend an athlete start to train themselves to get rid of that judgment well, the thing is, like, and we did we did some work with Tim Burkle around this um, in 2014 when he went to Kona for the first time, and we did a lot of visualization. So it was simply getting him into a relaxed state and then getting him to feel what was going to happen on race day, and that's an important word. Like, you can think something, but can you actually get in there and feel it? And you know, studies have shown visualization with, with basketballers works, whether, you know, if they just practice that they shoot hoops and one group actually practices and one group visualizes it, the visualization group always has a better percentage. So it's the same thing with any sport that you've got. If you can get in there and visualize it in a calm state where the mind's not making judgments around it, and then you just visualize what you will actually deal with in the process, then it becomes the unconscious mind's a really incredible thing because it comes out to play in when it when it's needed. So virtually what you need to do is train your body and your mind to focus on only the process and, and if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, sorry. Well I was just gonna say a good a really a, a good person to um I saw an interview with Kelly Slater, the 11 times world surfing champion, and the guy asked him, how have you managed to win this many world titles? And he just said process. 
And the guy said, what does that mean? Is that some kind of hippie mung bean thing? We, you know, and, and he said, no, 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 no. He said, when I'm paddling, he said, with my left hand, I actually feel the water. He said, then I feel it on my right. I feel it on my left. He said, I'm, I'm there with the process at all times. And he said, that means I've got to fall out of the sky on a 20-foot wave a pipeline. I'm there with that process. I'm not worrying about what's going to happen if I hit the bottom. And he, he said, that's how I did it. That's how I've done it, micro moments. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's interesting. I mean, watching Callie Slater, he's in his, uh, I think he's early 40s now. And yeah. he, since he was a, a teenager, he's been you know, one of the top surfers in the world. So he's just, he's stuck at it. And I mean, he's, he's in a bit of a slump at the moment, but I'll be, I'm interested to see what, you know, if, if he can come out of this slump and, uh, and, and get back on top next year or the year after, because it seems as though he's, he's one of those, one of the athletes who's just managed to do it for such a long time and his body is in such good shape and he's kept on top of his health and his, his nutrition and his, and his fitness that, um, that, and I think that's, that's how he's done it. And especially the, like you're saying, the, the mental side of things or, or the process. I mean, when you see him uh, in interviews, he's just a, he's a really deep thinker and he's a really switched on guy that um, he, he tends to view whether it's the waves or whether it's um, how he's going in, in a different way to a lot of the other competitors when you see him um, interviewed after, you know, after a heat. And, um, and and that's I just really enjoy listening to um, to his thoughts on you know whatever they ask him about. So that's um, yeah, he's just just a, just an amazing an amazing athlete. And with the with the visualization, is there a a time or a way to do it that you would recommend for let's say an age grouper who who might be working full time and training as much as possible? Is there a, an ideal time that they can visualize? Well, look. I think um, the the first thing is that it's like any it's like any other kind of training. You know, the more consistent you are with it, the better it gets. But for a time pressed athlete, that's not always easy. So what what we did was we put together a webinar program that runs for between six to ten weeks, and it's once a week leading into major events. And people come in and do that, and then they and then they they have the event. And they grounded. They learn. They learn how to center and some simple things that, that Buddhists would use as well. Some meditation, some centering, some grounding, just so you don't lose yourself in the mind. But anybody can do this stuff. And and if you know athletes committed themselves to let's just say I don't know two or three times a week of twenty minute visualization, the, the difference that that makes to performance is it's pretty big. And 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 I remember with Burks. We didn't do that much of it with with, when, with Burke or when he was doing Kona, but the the big thing for him was to just stop the judgment in the moment, and and it comes down to teaching an athlete that is pain actually pain, or is it just something that the mind tags? Like you can if you can feel burning on a treadmill, for instance, you're like you start to go harder and harder, and it's the lactate starts to build up. If you just feel it and you don't tag it, then it becomes something that you can deal with a lot, a lot easier. But it's like anything. If those, if people who are training for a race get say ten weeks out, and they give themselves a couple of times a week, even 20, 25 minutes, it makes a hell of a lot of difference. Even just to learn how to be in their own bodies, because most of the time 
people who are working, people with families, they're under the pump, you know, they're under the pump at work, they're pump, under the pump at home with kids and whatnot. If they just have that 20, 25 minutes where they can drop into themselves and not be all up in the head, it makes a lot of difference to their lifestyle as well. Yeah, and I, th- I think you see that as well when, like, let's say you take a take a holiday, you might have two weeks holiday a year. Sometimes it can take you three or four days to actually get into that holiday mode because of all the work, all the family stuff can just build up and you go, 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 and you never have that time to just sit and reflect and think. And, you know, if you can incorporate that into your daily life, uh, and that's something that I've tried to do, um, tried to do more of it, I find it's just... Um, my stress levels have gone down a lot because of it and it's just allowed me to I think not be more productive but be more effective with the things that I'm doing whether it's training whether it's with the coaching it's just um it just really gets um you know it gives you gives you that headspace to uh, move forward instead of to be stuck on the the treadmill of just um I guess just just dealing with things that that come up instead of uh, moving forwards on your on your goals yeah yeah, I mean, and, yeah. Sorry, you go. No, I was going to say, um, it, you know, one of the things that really blocks athletes is doubt and fear. They're the two things that, and, and in, in life generally, we're blocked by doubt and fear. And most of the time, it's, it's just a head story. It's not actually what's happening. And there's an acronym for fear, which is, which is false evidence appearing real. And fear only exists in the, you know, in the future or in the past. It never exists in the moment. And, 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 and if you can learn that, that's a key thing for athletes because once they learn how to get out of the past and stay out of the future, they're just left there with what's happening. And then anything's possible in that space, you know? Mm. And what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? So why do you, what is it that you really enjoy about coaching or, or what you do? What excites you the most? You know what, like as a coach, you never – the funny thing about coaching is you, you never really win. <laughs> like you'll, ha- you'll always have one person up and one person down. So even when you have your wins, they're, they're, still, not, they're, they're still not wins. But for me, I like working with people. I like people. I, um, I'm interested in people. So that, that kind of gets me out of bed. And, and something that really rejuvenated my coaching career was this, this um, turning towards psychology as a tool. And the two of them are really starting to come together now. It's taken me a while to work out how I could marry that. And that really excites me because I actually believe that we are anything is possible. I actually believe that now, whereas before, you know, it kind of becomes a little bit of a merry-go-round of the same thing over and over. But that, you know, that possibility of a performance really excites me and and watching somebody do something really special too, like for instance on the weekend, um, Clayton Fattel's been having a shocker for a few years, like just a, a little bit of a loss of form. So for us to go back to to the drawing board and just go, you know what, let's simplify all this and go back to the start and then to see him go off the front like he did at Port Macquarie on the weekend again, that's really exciting. That's just, that really gets my juices flowing when somebody's, really getting something again you know yeah well it's, uh, just um i mean i was watching the uh, the updates as he was going because i mean clayton he he was in one of our our videos called the art of triathlon swimming because he's 
such a great swimmer, got such a beautiful stroke, and yes. and to see him get that result on the weekend, and especially leading leading from the front. So did he break the course record on the swim, and then he built the lead on the bike to it's like eight or nine or ten minutes, and then he uh, he managed to hang on for third. It was it's just so great to see see someone like him who you know who hasn't been racing well to actually get that sort of result. And so I can only imagine what it's like as as the coach to actually help him work towards towards that and actually see it happen yeah it's it's not only that it's i mean the funny thing about being a human being is that we get so caught up in what we're doing all the time that we we lose sight of the facts that that we're we're time limited (laughs) we're not only time limited we're death limited man we're not going to be here for long you know and and that's why in my sort of philosophies become about having projects that that i'm excited about and, and taking risks and, and, you know, just – and to hell with it, you know, live, just live authentically, you know, and, and when you live authentically, you, you, you take risks and, you, and the safety goes out the window. And, and it's also, you know, there's an old saying, don't take life so seriously, no one gets out alive. So every, time, every day when I get out of bed now, I just go, okay, well, you know, let's do something that, that makes a difference. I don't care if it's different – for me personally or someone else, as long as there's some juice in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of on the, uh, on helping, athlete, I guess, working with athletes, what's your process to helping them or to helping the athlete overcome some of those mental barriers? Is there sort of like a checklist that you run through in your mind when you're working with someone, whether it's like a, a casual day-to-day conversation or if it's like a, you're sitting down with someone at the start of the season and looking at where they're, they're going. What do you have a, a sort of process that you go through with each one? Yeah, I think everybody's different. But the thing about athletes is they're they're more often than not type A personalities. But you can tell pretty quickly if someone's you know is is an anxious sort of personality or you know and and there's things that you can do to really help those people. And, and with coaching with certain personalities, you have to be careful because sometimes it's not so much a, a, a matter of a kick in the pants. It's a different way of looking at it, you know. It's getting them to do it for themselves or, or see what's what's valuable for themselves. And there's, there's um, you know, everybody has a different personality or a different – they have different traits, let's just say that. Mm. So you have to approach those people differently in the best way that you think you can to help them, you know. But the interesting thing about a process and a coaching process from, from both the physical side and the psychological side is if, if people have ever studied any of the, the samurai texts, like the old Japanese codes of war, they, um, those guys used uh, meditation and stillness for, to, to help them really perform at high levels and it's like, and this stuff's like a thousand years old, you know, and you, and their their whole philosophy was if they were on the battlefield still, then their performance level was able to be as high as they needed it to be to survive the thing. So they they visualized themselves being immovable objects, and they also worked a lot around if they died, that was okay. Not that athletes need to die, but just. There's some real pieces of gold in those texts in the Code of the Samurai that pertain to athletes 
and and the way that we approach and everybody can benefit. It doesn't matter what your personality type is. If you can accept things the way they are, look, find a way to be still when when you're under the pump, then you're much more likely to perform at a higher level. And that's the type of thing that I try to work with with athletes. Just and little things like emails, texts, reminders, just to kick them along to remind them that the mind story isn't the truth. Mm. And and on that as well, how do you use goals and goal setting with your athletes? So is is that a big part of the the process with them? And and how do you integrate uh, someone's goals into into how you would work with someone? Yeah. So goal settings goal settings an interesting thing. So people will come along with um, two years worth of races and goals and, you know, I'm happy to schedule those in and I always do. But when you talk about goal setting, I think goal setting is a daily thing. It, no, I'll go further than that. It's a session thing. Most people, like what I find with a lot of athletes is that they have the goal and they focus on the goal but their goals in training go south. And when I, when I say that, I mean you can take things like we've got so much technology now to, to give us feedback that people actually get lost in it. They don't. They're so focused on, on wattage, on heart rate, on flight time, on stroke rate, that they lose the capacity to feel. And I think that's a really important thing in a day-to-day training environment that, that people are reminded to, to tune into their bodies so that, so that they can feel what's happening. And the goal's the same way. So the game, the goal might be short-term or it might be long-term, but that goal, it's something that you need to apply your gut to. And if it's too much in the head, then it becomes, it becomes a, a very tense, fixed goal, and, it, and it's much harder to attain. And, it, you know, in psychology we call it efforting, and efforting increases pain, you know. It, so when, an, when it, there's awareness there that allows a process, then it's much more likely to be effective and the goal's the same way. So there's the goal. How do you feel about that goal? You, you desire it through your gut. So you let that gut come into your, into your daily training to help you with that overall goal. It's not just a mental fixed state or something in the future. It's something that you're present with all the time. And I... Um, I read an interview. I read a couple of interviews. One with um, um, Chris McCormack and one with um, uh, you know Chrissy Wellington, and they both talked about gut. And I read that Chrissy Wellington never raced with a heart rate monitor. They never raced with a, a power meter on. And I read that um, McCormack did the same thing. So they were just there with that goal, and they let their gut dictate it. And a lot of people would say that's risky and irresponsible, but Proofs in the pudding, those two were at the top of their game. You know, Christy was just about unbeatable. So I think it's about when you set goals, making sure that the goals are micro goals as well. They're session by session. There's no session that you do that shouldn't be effective, if that makes sense. Mm. And I find that when I'm I'm training for myself or or if I'm setting programs, I want to try and tie in every session needs to have a, a purpose that ties into that next goal or that, or that big goal. So just you know, every, every session, 
you know, whether it's your swim, your bike, your run, right, what's the, what's the purpose of this session? And, and for your swim, it might just be, right, this session is just about holding good form or it might be uh, like a threshold session. So just always tying that one goal of the session back into the, the main goal because I find that at least when, I, when I'm training, I'm thinking about, all right, I want, I want to make sure that I'm sort of ticking the box of what this, the purpose of this session is. But then just in the back of my mind, I'm, all, I'm always thinking about that, that sort of next goal that I've got. So it's kind of making that connection between, between that little micro goal for the session and then just linking it to the big goal and just going back and forth and, and using that as motivation because you know, when, I find when I haven't got that next goal ahead, it's very hard to push that little bit extra in the session or... Um, or really just find the motivation to to get the most out of that training session. So, yeah, that, that linking between the micro goals and the big goals is what I, I think can help uh, an athlete really just keep on track with their, their training. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and not only that, I mean, how many times, you know, I have people who train with me over the summer and then they always have every winter off and say to me, you know, I, I don't have any goals, therefore I, I, can't stay, I can't stay focused, so I'm just going to sit on my backside for three months. And what people fail to realise is it's the, the, the absolute meat and veggies is in, that, is in that winter period. That's where it is. I mean, the, and, you know, training, as you know, always runs in arrears. What we, what we do today is going to benefit us in three or four or five weeks, you know. It, it's... And, it, and it's always running behind. So the better time is spent, the more they, you know, the more that real, realistically what I'm saying is that there is no time where you shouldn't be focused or working towards a goal. You can, everything can become a micro goal. And if you lose motivation, it's just because you've lost your way. Everything has a, has a purpose, you know, and it makes sense. And it's okay to take time, time off. But if you're taking time off because you because you feel like you can't stay motivated, then you're really not that committed to the goal anyway, you know. Yeah, and you see it in well, in age groups. I mean, for example, most squads or most most elite squads will take two weeks off a year. So that's fifty weeks of pretty much consistent training. They might have a a week off halfway through the season, uh, and maybe you know, a week off somewhere else in between, but. For, you know, for the most part, they're training for 50 weeks solid, and that's anywhere between seven to ten swim sessions a week. And that, yeah, and that's why you see these, uh, you see, age group swimmers just, I get, I becoming so so good at it. Like it's, I think swimming is one of the the few sports where, at a young age, someone who might be 12 years of age, they will do consistently eight eight sessions, if not more, up until they're 18 or older. And, and just not have that time off. And that's how they get those little incremental improvements. They're not taking three months or four months off in the middle of the year because the season's done. It's just a very consistent process. And I think that, you know, that's really what you, you need. You need that life, I guess, that lifelong um, enjoyment of sport and, and keeping fit and, and, and growing and developing in order to really see those gains over time because if you do take those big chunks of time off, it just sends you back you know, double as long as you've taken off. Yeah, it does. And, and you know, the old phone book analogy is a good one, isn't it? Like you, if you want to create a phone book that you can't rip in half, you've got to lay down a lot of pages. And it's, it works the same <laughs> way. If you keep 
you know, if you keep tearing out, you know, half the book every winter, it's never going to get thick enough to not tear. So, you know, the more the more you do over time, the more consistent you are, the stronger you're going to get, and the faster you're going. And that's the other thing. Like people will often say, you know, it, it's not going to make me faster. Absolutely, it makes you faster. If your aerobic capacity improves because of the volume of work that you've done, then you get to a point where where your you know your aerobic capacity is faster than what most other people's capacity is at threshold, and that gets lost in it sometimes. You know, people think, oh, if I do intervals, I'll be able to to really improve my speed and my capacity. It's actually the underpinning strength, the background work that um, that s- still creates those performances, and that's that's odd. You can go back to Lydiard and all those guys to look at that kind of that kind of information, it doesn't matter how far forward we go with technology, that's always going to be the case. Mm. And with your, with your Ironman athletes, half or full distance Ironman athletes, what sort of emphasis do you put on intensity in training? Or I guess high intensity. So is a lot of it just, is it a lot of it base building or is there uh, a mix of high intensity stuff in there? I'm just curious as to, uh, what sort of mix you do with most of your athletes? I um, I tend to. What I do is, I use different levels of strength, uh, and I, I don't think you can ignore any any energy system. To be honest, like I think if you completely ignore one energy system, then it's at the it's at the cost of something else. So I use a lot of. Strength. They could be low RPM efforts if they're on the bike, for instance, and they'll be. They'll, some of them will be aerobic threshold. Some of them will be seventy point three power, and some of them will be threshold power, and some of them above. So it's a mix of strength work, and I'll and I'll and I'll use that so that strength is the underpinning background, and and within that there's there's work around aerobic threshold so that. Let's just say um, AT1 doesn't go south. Or like your your capacity to operate for high pace for low oxygen cost is always in play. And then in the last um, eight to nine weeks, yes, there's in, there's intensity there, definitely. But it's mixed. It's mixed in with um, a little bit of Ironman pace work, a little bit of um, upper end work, power. It's nothing's ignored, and I don't think. If you're fair dinkum about getting a really good Ironman result, that that just going around ignoring those energy systems is going to work for you. Why? It's still a race, and especially with Ironman, you know, when I see people circumnavigating the globe 16 weeks out from an Ironman, I, I look at someone and going, and there's someone who's going to be toast on the line. You know, you've got to apply the appropriate tra- training at the appropriate time to get the right result, and I think that's. That's where it lies, you know. Mm. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, in terms of swimming. I mean, there's a big emphasis on what's called USRPT, which is ultra short race pace training yeah. uh, for, yeah. for pool swimmers, which you, you've probably heard of. And it's it's interesting talking to majority of top coaches who say, "Well, that's absolutely that's a, a component of it." Is that that is that just high intensity work, uh, short rest, and yeah, and making sure athletes are hitting that race pace regularly. But if you ignore everything else, then you know you're missing out on a big component of 
of someone's development and so it's it just to just to cut that out completely uh, isn't a isn't a smart thing to do so it's just uh yeah i just want to get your your perspective on it in terms of i guess longer distance events with the ironman where you know whether you, you do incorporate that the higher intensity stuff with it what um when when you're training or when you, you were training as a pro triathlete what was your typical focus on each session was it on your on form was it on the on pushing yourself every session i'm just uh, curious as to where you would typically you know lie your focus and and obviously try and get rid of the the judgment of of uh how you felt with it but what did you typically focus on well i think for iron man you, you really need a, a, a really big focus around technique you've got to be able to function at you know high speed for low aerobic costs for a long time and and they're the specific demands of that of that event so for me it was always about form first and foremost but it was also about strength because I think if you're strong you can you know for instance you can turn the pedals over for a long time and, and still be quite aerobic so you need you need strength there's no doubt about it and that's one of the, I mean, an Ironman is a strength endurance event. But by the same token, you know, and, and what I try to do with, with my athletes and I did myself was I would prepare myself to say there might be five minutes every now and then within this bike ride where I've got to go to threshold or even slightly above, you know, and, and you're ignorant if you think that's not going to happen. It's going to happen. So you still need upper-end efforts so that you can come and go from that aerobic threshold zone. So you might have, let's just say you're rolling along at Ironman pace in the race and and something moves and you need to move, you need the capacity to be able to make that movement. And then you give yourself five minutes and if it doesn't slow down, then you've got to make a call about where you go with that from there. But you know, it's 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 one of those things. So you have to, you know, I always thought that I have to train myself for the specific de- demands of this event. I have to train myself so I can s- sustain higher than race pace efforts for five to six minutes. My form has to be good and, and I have to focus on my form. You know, I can't f- just focus on speed, heart rate. There has to be some kind of body awareness in it that helps me to improve my technique so that I'm efficient when I'm on the course. And then, you know, the other one's just my speed at aerobic threshold. If you use the old um, Mark Allen used to talk about it all the time, his speed at aerobic threshold. That's that's a, another big one for Ironman. But, it, yeah, I'm the same. Like even my swim sets for Ironman training were probably mostly at threshold, at AT, you know. They weren't. There wasn't much work that I did in the pool that was was low threshold. I think the swim in an Ironman is the only thing where you really can sustain threshold. And I think a lot of people just swim too easy, you know, in an Ironman. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the form and the strength. We When we're running clinics, we, we get quite a range of athletes, but a lot of them may have only swum for one or two years and they're, they're new to triathlon. And or they've been doing triathlon for a couple of years, but they've ne- they never swum as a junior. So what we tend to teach is you've always got to be thinking about your form when you're swimming because as soon as you 
get lazy with your posture or your technique, then your speed's going to suffer. So it's finding that balance between effort and holding your technique as you increase that effort. And you just need to, you need to be strong if you're going to swim half Ironman or, or, or full distance Ironman event, because yeah, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work for the arms to do. If you've, if you're not used to, you know, if you haven't got years of, of swimming you know, un, under your belt and, you know, doing that, a lot of pool boy paddles work is, is what we'll have our athletes do because it's, uh, it's very similar to what it's like swimming with a wetsuit. So, you know, we'll just prescribe people just, you just have to put some Ks into the arms. You need to do it at that aerobic threshold pace. And, you know, if you're just swimming two kilometers straight where you're just swimming up and down and there's no real focus on, on your form or, or your effort, it's that session's not going to do you any good. There's no benefit there. So, you know, we make sure they get that, that rest in between. It might, might break it into 10, 200s, get that rest in between, allow yourself to reset and just rethink it about your stroke and get enough rest so that you can sort of feel good for that next 200. And then you, you go again. So sometimes I find it's just educating, you know, educating people who haven't got that experience in the water. It's, it's just about teaching them what are the, the fundamentals or, or the real basics of what a good swim program looks like or, or what are some of the components that you need to put into, um, into your swimming, you know, from the strength to the technique to, uh, to pacing with the events and everything like that. So I think going back to, to basics and, and similar, I guess, with the, uh, the psychological stuff that you go through with your athletes, it's just it's going back to basics and just keeping it very simple and not trying to overcomplicate it because there's so much that can go into a race or into your training that you can, it's very easy to get caught up in everything. Yeah. Simplicity is key. I mean, that's a, it's just true of everything in life. But whenever there's hype, the more, you know, the the further along you go looking to improve your performance, the more simplicity becomes important. And that's the funny thing about it. It's got to have a feel element. And and swimming, I know, if you can't feel in a pool, you you know, you see people in the pool who, who just, Never improve because they never they never bring themselves to that discipline. You know they never they're so caught up in the cycle times that they they they've lost their focus on their feel and on their flow and and that's another big one flow. You know the thing's got to have flow or it's or it becomes a nightmare. And I you know I, I'm sure you're the same. You get people who they start to get a few results and the improvement curves. It's going really well. Then all of a sudden, it becomes all—it becomes this massive, all-encompassing thing. They've got some, but all of a sudden, they've got some gym coach who's giving them SE works. They're, they're doing Pilates. They're doing—they're—they're they're stretching. They're getting—it becomes so complicated that no one could sustain that. It loses all its flow and becomes a nightmare. So the higher you go on that level of performance, the, the more you got to strip back and really look at simplicity. What am I doing here, and what am I trying to achieve? You know. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And we, I mean, when I started running the clinics, uh, running the swimming clinics years ago, it was it was very complicated to start with. There were like sixteen drills we'd go through and talk about every part of the stroke. And then I just I sort of looked and I thought this is this is a lot for someone to to take on. What actually makes the difference here? And so we cut it back to we'll go through five or six different drills or exercises and we just cut it back to the things that will actually 
just make it will make you go faster. So there's some some parts of the stroke that might have a half a percent improvement for you, but you know what what really increases your speed and your propulsion and you know it's it's posture, it's body body position, it's yeah. are you relaxed as you're coming over the top of the water and 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 you pull through and you catch and pull. So we just cut it back to those um, those simple things and and the results that we get from athletes who come to the clinics are, are so much better than they were before because we've just kept it very simple for people and they're not getting overwhelmed with all of this this information so it's um yeah. i think the as you were saying yeah the the further you go in something the more you realize how important simplicity is and it's just refining all of the all of the information that you collect and and everything you learn into the simplest form possible yeah it- I, I, it's it's interesting you say that. Is that there's personally at the moment my partner's teaching me to paddle, and um, I've never I've never really paddled before because um, you know it, it's just interesting because she's trying to teach me to paddle, and she's a, a damn good paddler, and it's there's there's a lot of technique in paddling too, and and the interesting thing was I had to ask her to just not coach me for a little while so I could actually get the feel of the boat. And, you know, those boats are really tippy, like the, the – um, These are surf paddle boards, like the – No, ocean racing skis. Okay, um, yeah. Thinking about doing the cool and get a goal, I've always wanted to do it. So it's – they're very tippy. And the interesting thing is, is if you don't feel it and you don't feel it with your body, you can't do it. The second you try to apply your mind to it, you just fall out of the boat. <laughs> and so – it's it kind of it's it's like a little lesson in itself that if you can, if you don't at fir- if you're not at first feeling what you're doing and then it's then the information's useless you can't have the information without the feel the two go together you know yeah definitely i mean it's it's like when uh, we uh, yeah, when, when we're running these clinics, the the first thing we go through is is posture and, and sort of head position and body position. And you know, when because I mean, when I jump in the the water, and I've swum since I was a, a kid, I was four or five years old, and un, uh, subconsciously, the first thing I do or the first thing I think about when I jump in is how's my body sitting, where are my eyes at, where's my head at, head at, and I'm just looking for that body position on t- on top of the water, and it's all these little. Uh, these minor adjustments to make make sure I'm sitting well in the water, and so we, you know, we, we start swimmers off by just teaching them the right posture and and how to achieve it, and then just having them swim some laps and just just feel for it and just experiment with where you're looking with your head and how much pressure you're putting through your torso, and just play around with those little things and notice the differences that uh, that you feel when you're doing it, because there's only so much you can tell someone until they have to feel it and experience it for themselves. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I know you've got it. You've got to go soon. So, um, where can people find out more about um, your triathlon team, your triathlon coaching, and uh, more about the uh, the psychology uh, coaching that you do as well? Oh, we've got um, two websites. One's the psychology's um, www.sportssupports.com. Um, Everything that there's a blog up there and that type of thing, and if people are interested in psychological training, then they can get in touch um, with me. But my email is grant at aramxteam.com if they're interested. 
and our triathlon website's just aeromaxteam.com. So, you know, it's um, easy to get in touch, and I'm happy to talk to anybody if they're, if they're interested. You know, I really love what we do. It's, it's good fun, and, you know, it's, uh, it's a great – sport's great. It's a great thing. Sport's a great thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're. Um, I've said this before on the podcast, but I think to be able to work in uh, in this field as a as a coach, just so lucky to be able to to do it because you come across so many interesting people and and great people, and it's to help them work towards those goals they've got and to to see them develop and grow is uh, is really something special. So I think we're just uh, so fortunate to be able to do that. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's an it's an interesting um, dynamic coaching. It really is, and and it's a, you know, the for, for athletes it's a never ending ending learning process, and for coaches it's the same thing. You never stop learning, you know. So the second you stop learning is the second that you start to stagnate. Sometimes that's painful, but that's okay. You know, mm. what do you do? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, it's yeah, you know, it's always going to be that roller coaster where you you have your ups and downs, and you you're going to hit a plateau here and there, but. It's uh, the main thing is you just keep on track and uh, and, ke- and keep pushing through like um, you know like you like you do with your, your athletes and uh, it's been been great having you on the podcast and uh, fantastic uh, hearing your side of things from uh, from coaching to the psychological stuff and uh, I'd love to get you back on the podcast down the track sometime. More than happy to, man. And thanks for having me on. It's been great. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.